clip with you. Uh, that was Aaron McCoy. I met him down at the park. Bob introduced me to him. And I love what he said. He said, once you've tasted the things of the Lord, once you've tasted the things of the Lord, you just can't do the things you used to do. You can't do that anymore. It's kind of First John in a nutshell. Once I've tasted this, once I've been a part of this, I can't be a part of the life I used to be a part of. Uh, this last Wednesday, uh, man, some of y'all missed a treat. Man, we had Miguel uh, come and just share some of his testimony with us uh, this last Wednesday. Now, Miguel is a man that was on the streets just five to six years ago uh, as a drunkard. I mean, he was just, alcohol had consumed his life. It was so severe that he, he told us this last Wednesday that he spent, um, I believe, it was 30 times in one month he was admitted to PVH because of alcohol abuse. 30 times in a month he was admitted to PVH. Somebody who had just been consumed, he was dead, he was dying. And then somehow God did something, entered into his life, and he not only gets himself recovered from alcohol abuse, gets on his feet, but gets into a home, gets into a home with two kitchens and six bedrooms so he can open it up to the community and help people sober up. Miguel came from being an alcoholic off the streets, and with five years, he's had more than 100 people in his house recovering from alcohol addiction. And he came and shared this testimony. And I said, why not? When you're coming off the streets, why not just move forward in life and say, that used to be my life and, 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 and get away from the community? He said, because it wasn't for people investing in me, coming into my life, coming into my experience, I'd be dead right now. And so I've got to take the love that was poured into my life and begin pouring it into other lives. And I've got to allow that to work through me. It's beautiful for me to see that kind of testimony. And God has been sending people. As far as the church at Metal Art, God has been sending people our way to remind us, to help us. God is speaking to us through some of these people. Um, listen, Miguel is not the first person I would talk to about the five tenets of Calvinism. He's not the first person I would talk to about soteriology, ecclesiology, or any of the ologies. But this man gets one thing dead on. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. The one thing, the simple thing. Um, I love to cook, and I'm still, I'm still working at it, um, but it's, it's a passion of mine. I love cooking different things. When I get online and I'm looking up a recipe that I want to throw down for somebody, the first thing I do is look at the ingredients. What's in this? And then I have an idea maybe of what it's going to be like. So I want to do something with you this morning. I'm going to go through kind of a recipe uh, of the book of Luke. This is, this is the book of Luke in a nutshell. I'm going to give you kind of a thread that goes through this book. Every verse I'm going to share with you is from the book of Luke. Beginning in chapter 5, the disciples left everything and followed him. Again in chapter 5, Matthew, Jesus walks to, up to him and he says, follow me. He leaves everything and follows him. In chapter 9, Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow after me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. In chapter 14, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, mother, his wife, children, his brothers, sisters, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. In chapter 14, again, he says, 
He who does not give up everything cannot be my disciple. Chapter 18, a rich, uh, a rich young ruler comes to him and says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He says, Why do you call me good? No one is good. But I'll tell you this, sell everything you have and give to the poor. Then you'll have a treasure in heaven. Chapter 18, Peter said to him, we have left everything to follow you. And then Jesus says, good. This is his response. We're going to Jerusalem. Now that's really key to the book of Luke. Is once Jesus turns and he sets his face towards Jerusalem, the crowds begin to dwindle. Crowds are growing. The, the gospel is growing. Everything is going well. And then Jesus resolutely, the text says, set his face for Jerusalem. And the text reminds us several times through the last half of the book of Luke, he was making his way towards Jerusalem. And so it's great when someone comes to you and says, follow me. What's the first question you're going to ask the person who says, follow me? Where are you going? And so they're following him. They're excited. They see the loaves. They, they see Jesus multiplying the loaves of bread. They're seeing these miracles. But then they start realizing this is going to be a life of sacrifice. This is going to be a life. This is going to mean a life of transformation. So I want you to open up with me real quick. We're going to go to chapter uh, 13 of the book of Luke. And I want to begin just with this parable of the mustard seed. And then we're going to focus in on what's on the narrow door. Um, And this passage of scripture, I hope, does for you this morning what it did for me this week. I was terrified of this chapter. Um, I was terrified of these verses because the narrow door, I grew up thinking of these verses and I was terrified by them. I thought the narrow door meant if I didn't find the right church to attend in this life, then I was in the broad way and I had to find the narrow way. If it wasn't the exact right mixture of church doctrines, then I was not in the narrow door. I was in the broad way. And these verses terrified me because of that. Verses that you would look at and say, man, how do I know if I'm even a Christian? How do I know if I'm even saved? Don't talk about the narrow door. Don't talk about the narrow way. But listen, these verses were transformed for me in this study. And I believe that these verses offer incredible peace to a Christian. I'm going to explain why in just a minute. Let's begin with the mustard seed. Jesus asked, what's the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air perched in its branches. Again, he asked, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It's like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked through all of the dough. Um, I don't believe that these parables, whether you're talking about the yeast or you're talking about the mustard seed, I don't think these parables are simply talking about something very small. This is, these are my mustard seeds from my spices. I don't know if you're like me. Never touch this once. I have no clue what you use mustard seeds for. And so it's completely full. Um, but I don't think it's simply about taking something very small and it becomes becoming something very big. Whether you're dealing with the yeast working through all of the dough or the mustard seed that becomes a mustard tree. I don't think that is really the point of these parables. And before, I always thought it was. I think it's more this. Um, This, And I'm just going to use an example of this tree. It looks a little bit like um, this mustard tree. So let's just pretend this is a a mustard tree. 
or fake mustard tree. I don't know if you know this. This is not a real tree. Um, This is a counterfeit. Now, everything in the book of Luke up to this point is about being counterfeit. In the previous chapter, he said, you are, talking to the Pharisees, whitewashed tombs. You are cups that are clean on the outside, but filthy on the inside. So he is accusing these people of being counterfeit. You look right, you look the part, but there's something wrong. And if I were to take this tree and if together we were to say, let's make a mustard tree. And I don't know the process that goes into making a fake ficus tree or whatever we're going to do, but I'm assuming this is real wood that they borrowed that's dead um, because it looks and feels real. And, it, and, and everything that you would do, including the pot, to make it look like we're nourishing this tree, this feels like real wood, hey, the leaves are green, why, don't I, why do I know that's not a real tree? Well, there's two things. There's two things that I know that makes that uh, not a real tree. One, it's not in a place where a tree could possibly survive. It's not living in the light. It's not living in a place where it has the kind of nourishment where a tree could survive. Um, two, no one on this staff would ever take care of a tree in this building. <laughs> Three, um, I know it because, mostly because there's no fruit. There is no fruit on that tree. And, and no matter what you do, when you try to manufacture this tree, if it's fake, it will not bear fruit. And then in the end, what you've done is the, to try to create a fake tree is infinitely more difficult than doing the one simple thing that I need to get a mustard tree. Mustard tree. The only way to do it is to take a seed and to put it in. And the DNA, everything I need is programmed into this seed. Everything I need for a genuine tree is already right here in this seed. And the simplicity of simply planting the seed, nurturing and taking care of it, the simplicity of that, that is what's going to give me the mustard tree. What's happening in our religion today is the same thing that was happening in the religion back then. We look at the church and we say, what can I do to imitate what a Christian is supposed to be? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I want to robe myself with these things. I want to worship the way they worshiped. I want to act the way they act. But one thing is needed. And I could try to imitate the life of Christ. But if I do not have the one thing that is needed, the seed, the DNA. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. If I do not have genuine love and relationship with God at the heart of who I am, then I am an imposter. I am a fake. And it is impossible. First John is there to, to say this. Listen, you try your hardest to fulfill these commands in your life. You cannot do it. Because, and these are the words that first John is going to use. Because his seed is not in you. Because his spirit is not in you. Because his word is not in you. Because his anointing is not in you. First John is consumed with what is actually inside of you. Because if that is in me, if that seed is in me, love for him and love for everything that God teaches and represents, then genuine Christianity flows forth out of that. And it cannot work the opposite. You cannot begin from the outside and you work your way in. And so he begins with this parable um, of the mustard seed and the mustard tree. And I'm going to come back to that in a minute. And then he says to them this. 
After it says, I want to begin in verse 22. Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? Now that question makes a lot of sense. Because so far in the book of Luke, we've, we've read, man, if somebody wants to come after me, he needs to leave everything. Someone comes after Jesus and he says, Lord, I want to follow you. And he says, foxes have holes. Someone else says, let, I want to follow you. And he says, but first let me go say goodbye to my mom and dad. And he says, man, anybody who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom. But I, I want to come follow you, but first let me go bury my parents. Let, let, let the dead bury their own dead. Every time somebody says, I want to follow you, Jesus responds with something that makes it very difficult. Making the book of Luke very, very diff- difficult. It's not very palatable when you think of it in these terms. And so it makes sense that they would come to him. This man that says, man, it's harder for a, a, a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to go into the kingdom of heaven. All of these teachings would just, it was so natural that you would come and say, who's saved? Are only a few going to be in there? It makes a lot of sense to me that this question would follow. And then Christ says this, make every effort to enter through the narrow door. Because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Again, a verse that at first just terrifies me. Look at some verses of this this God of grace. How can a God of grace... I'm going to share some verses with you that are disturbing in the Old Testament as well. But how can a God of compassion that showed compassion to a prostitute, to a centurion to the unclean, and to the darkest of sinners. The God who said that His desire was for all men to be saved. How could He make the way narrow? Why would He make the way narrow if He's a God of compassion and a God of grace? That's a fair question. Here's some verses from the Old Testament. This is Proverbs 1.25. The God of grace spoke these words. Since you ignored all my advice and would not accept my rebuke, I in turn will laugh at your disaster. I will mock when calamity overtakes you, when calamity overtakes you like a storm, when disaster sweeps over you like a whirlwind. And Isaiah 30, 32, talking about the punishment that God would inflict on his people, he said this, every stroke the Lord lays on them with his punishing rod Will it be to the music of tambourine and harps? He says, I'm going to beat you. And I'm going to beat, beat you to music. And you're reading this stuff thinking, ah, I kind of like the grace verses. What is this? And you're reading this and asking yourself, man, how can the God of compassion say such things and act, and act in such a way? And the reason why is this. Um, and, and I love the way Rabbi Zacharias responded to this a very similar question. He said this, because there's only one law of gravity. You can't have your own law of gravity. And I can't have my own law of gravity. The law of gravity is very simple. The way of the Lord is very simple. It's his command. It's what he's given us. It's what he's instructed us. But it is so liberating. And it is so it's so eye-opening to me, but he's simply saying this, um, Jeff, all of your life you've pursued me. 
You've studied religion. You've done what you could. You've complicated things a lot. And there's one thing that I asked of you. There's one narrow road I chose for you. Love me with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. This is the narrow path. Relationship with me and truly loving me. Truly understanding what it is to immerse your life into me. That is the only way. You cannot try to arrive at Christianity um, by being a, a counterfeit. Jesus said this in John 10, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. In Acts 4.12, he says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given by men by which we must be saved. You know, not everyone will die and go to a better place, regardless of what's said at funerals. The truth is, that's just not what the Word gives us. God has shown so much grace, even, if, if, even in this life alone. And we can't choose this life alone. But I believe this, even if it's only for this life, I have no right to look at God and say, what kind of God are you for not giving me eternal life? It's by His grace that I am what I am. It's by His grace that I breathe. And for him to offer eternal life to us is an enormous grace. And the simple, narrow way that he offers us is you have to have relationship with me. You have to truly love me and seek me with everything that you got. Um, I'm going to talk about baptism a little bit in just a minute. I want to talk about what that means and what that should mean to us. Um, it's a topic that constantly needs clarifying, I believe, in our minds as far as what is this baptism that he's calling us to. Um, before I get into that, I want, I want to talk about, a little bit about being counterfeit. I have a confession to make. I was fake this last week. I did something super fake. I hate golf. I'm terrible at golf. I've gone with David and a couple of you guys. I'm the world's worst golfer. I can't hit a golf ball straight to save my life. Um, I always hated golf. That's why I got into disc golf. Um, it's a little bit more nuanced, a little bit more complicated. It's, it's, it's a... But uh, I was watching the news uh, not long ago. It was just a few days ago. And I, I just usually watch the news for maybe five minutes a day to see what's going on. And then I avoid all the dumb stuff. But um, I, I saw that a golfer um, went quadruple bogey. Uh, I had no clue who he was. I didn't know his name. Um, Rory McElroy, I think is his name. And uh, so then later that afternoon, I'm out at Dick Sporting's Goods, and I'm, I'm getting a golf shirt because they're 50% off. And I said, well, I'm going to get a golf shirt. Well, the guy comes up to me and says, well, are you going to get out, out on the greens today? And I said, no, not today. I'm not going to get out. And, of course, I never get out, but I, just, I was trying to play the part. And then he said, uh, Do you, did you hear about Rory McIlroy? And I go, weird. I just saw this on the news. And I said, yeah, quadruple bogey, right? He said, yeah, and at this point I said, man, I hope this guy didn't call my bluff. I know nothing about golf. I'm just here looking at shirts, right? Anyway, I thought I'd share that story with you. But I was, I was, I was thinking about how it's easy to kind of play the part. But then if he got me out of the green and said, this guy doesn't actually play golf. And it's funny how we can do that in religion. Uh, we speak the language. Um, we act the part. We go to church. There's a lot of things that we can do. 
But Jesus has a very, very, I think it's a relieving message, but it's a very difficult message at the same time. How do I know that I'm genuine? How do I know that I'm not a fake tree? How do I know that I'm actually in him? I could say a lot of words that in maybe the the modern uh, theological world would impress people, but they're not biblical words. I could do a lot of things that have to do with religion. But someone runs into me, generally they would hopefully, I pray this isn't true. But probably they would recognize by my speech and by the things that I could talk about, he's probably a preacher, he works with the church. Someone runs into Miguel. They see their Savior. They see Jesus Christ. They see the love of the Lord. And I have to ask myself, do I represent church? Or do I represent Jesus Christ? And when people look at our lives, do they see all of the... everything that would make a tree a tree from the outside... But there's no fruit, nor does it need the light of day, nor does it need nourishment, because it's not actually in the Lord. Jesus says this, the way is narrow. When he says that, he's saying this, let me replace that word with a different word. The way is simple, simple. Actually, the the word in Greek means straight. It means singular. There's one thing, and this is it. The word must be alive in you. He uses this phrase, make every effort to enter through the narrow door. It's the Greek word where we get our word agonized from. I never pronounce Greek words, so agonisate or something like that. It means to agonize. It means to fight, to contend, as in war or athletics, it says this, this singular narrow path of what it is to be in Christ, fight with everything that you've got with agony to stay on that path. With everything that's in you, the word is used two other occasions that I want to draw your attention to in Colossians and 2 Timothy. To this end, I labor, agonizing, struggling with all his energy, which is so powerfully working in me. He says again in 2 Timothy 4, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the fate. I fought to stay in my faith. I fought to keep myself rooted and grounded in my Lord. And not to lose sight of who I am and not to lose sight of my walk in Him. When someone asks you about baptism... And all of this debate comes up. Well, do you need to be baptized? Do you not need to be baptized? I want to talk about what baptism is in the New Testament. Romans 6 says this, As many of you were baptized into Christ, were baptized into His death. You were buried with Him. And what he's saying is this. He's saying this, You lost your life. We're not talking about simply immersing your body into water. And thinking about, well, I did that when I was 14, or I did that when I was 12. We're not talking about that. The word baptism meant immersing your your life into his will. It meant immersing yourself entirely into this way of life, dying to yourself and living to him, entering into covenant with him. And, And a lot of people would look at me and agree with me and say, absolutely, but does my body need to go in the water? 
Listen, if we're not ready to obey a command as simple as your body going in the water, how are you going to obey commands like never be lacking in zeal? How are you going to obey commands like rejoice in the Lord always? Honor others as better than yourself. Those are difficult commands. And he simply says this, enter into covenant with me. And churches today, because we're so consumed with this, have the audacity to ask questions like, well, do I really... Stop. Don't ever speak to the Lord that way. Let's make baptism something richer and deeper than it has been sometimes. We are not talking about water. It's an act that takes place through water. But it's the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that saves us. And it's faith and covenant and commitment to Him. And baptism represents death. My life is hidden in Christ alone. And so this narrow path, this simple way, I pray gives you peace. Because regardless of what Miguel or you or any of us might know about Revelation, the baptism for the dead in Corinthians, speaking in tongues, how a true, authentic worship service is supposed to look like, one thing matters is that seed inside of you. Is the love of God what consumes you? And desire to have his life, his, his word lived out through you so that whenever he asks you anything and anything that he commands us through his word, I simply say, because I love you, I'll do it. I believe this, um, and I'm, especially before, when I preach every week before my wife, my parents, my in-laws, the Richters are my family, people who know me well. There's no way I'm going to stand up here and try to pretend that I live a, I don't like to say perfect because that's obvious, a good life. I, I, I wouldn't ever try to pretend that. Um, but I do believe this, that if the seed of his word and the love for him is inside of you, you are a genuine, I'm going to keep using the example of a tree. You are a genuine tree. And there is no way to bear fruit outside of a walk in him. There is no way to create true strong roots outside of a true walk in him. There's no way to grow and there's no way to look at and, and, and for people to look at your life and say that is a Christian, that models Jesus Christ outside of a genuine walk in his spirit. I believe that that is what is in mind when Jesus talks about this narrow way, this simple way. And I pray that that both challenges you and gives you peace because I can say with certainty that I am in him. I'm in Christ, not because of all the complexities of everything that I've figured out in religion, because of the one thing that I know and I pray that he will retain in my heart to love him with everything that I've got and to genuinely want to be his. 
And when he says, I'm going to Jerusalem to be willing to pick up my cross and go with him. Um, I want to lift you up in prayer. I want to lift up this body in prayer. Um, And we've done this before frequently. But it's important to me that as a body, as we grow, there's energy, there's so many good things happening, um, that we won't overcomplicate this, that we'll keep this very simple, that a walk in Jesus Christ is the one thing we're pleading with you, begging with you, that we pray that every man would have. And I want to pray that this is something that is true of this body and something that is true in our representation of his gospel as well. Let's pray together. Uh, my Father, I, um, I pray that we would leave challenged by your words. Um, God, that, uh, that we, we do overcomplicate this. And, and I pray um, that we would hold on to every word you teach us. Uh, that we would honor your word as holy. But God, above everything else, that we would, we would remember a relationship with you and a walk in your spirit and a sacrificial of giving ourselves and our will to you daily. Um, I pray that we'll remember that that's what's fundamental to our faith. I ask God that um, the world would see us, that we would be able to see one another, and that we would see the very spirit of you here, alive, and active in this body. I pray, God, that you would surprise us this year again that you would continue to pour your work and your spirit into what we're doing, and that, Father, we would be truly led by you. I got, God, I ask that we would leave with these verses knowing that the door is narrow. Father, that that won't be something that terrifies us and scares us off, but that was something that will focus us and give us comfort to know that one thing is needed and that we won't forget that one thing. I love you so much, Father, for calling us your children, for giving us peace, and for causing us to be authentic in you by your spirit. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and worship our God.